I'll come to our further exploration. What we landed off saying at the end of our last session together was pretty powerful for me because I had this realization that proof by negation can sometimes be very, very effective in illuminating the reality of any given situation. And the way, one of the struggles that we're trying to combat is where do where do I feel, where do I experience my neshama inside of myself? So by telling me what my nefesh of Bahamas is, my animal soul, what it is, how it feels, what it does, and recognizing those things as being quite easy to spot, and then thinking about, okay, right now in this moment, are any of those things present? Well, if, they, if they're not present, so then what's left? Well, it must be the Nefesh Eloki. So we haven't explained what the godly soul is, but it will be an interesting rite of passage to understanding of what the Nefesh ha Eloki is, the godly soul, is all about, because we have a clear, categorized distinction as to when it's not the Nefesh Elokis. So, for example, we said in the last time we learned together that the Balatanya associates a series of negative traits to four basic elements. And he says, he starts off with fire. He says fire produces in, in, in its emotional, energetic state. It produces arrogance and anger. So I now know that if I'm angry and arrogant, I'm in the world of the animal soul. I know that I'm not transcendent. I know that right now my experience, my personality, my being has been overtaken by the Nefesh is the animal soul. I know, moving on from down from fire, the, the, the Balatanya says there is um, Mayim, which is desire. So I know if I'm pursuing the pleasures of the flesh, whatever they may be, I'm in my animal soul. And I'm not in my godly soul. I know that I know if I'm speaking things which have no real value, I'm having trivial conversation, I'm just shooting the breeze with my mouth, or I'm self-glorifying based on no real evidence for that need for self-glorification, or if I'm just stum saying rubbish, so then I know I'm in my animal soul. And finally, I know if I'm sad and if I'm lethargic, I'm in my animal soul. So I know almost from all the different movements of self, the passive movement of atzvus and atzlus, the super active movement of anger and arrogance, the fluid movement of desire and the airy movement of wind, if I'm in any of those states of being, those energetic states of being, and those energetic states of being are, are expressing themselves through, through the negativity of the above-discussed negative traits, I know where I am. I'm in my Nefesh Bahamis. So if I'm not in any of those states, and I can almost develop a checklist for myself. So right now, where am I? So let's try and analyze this moment to you before I respond to your raised hand. Let's try and analyze this moment. Where am I right now? Am I with my neshama? Am I with my nefesh, my godly soul, or my animal soul? Right now in this moment. So let me think. 
I'm not angry. So let's cross off angry. I'm not pursuing any taiva. I'm not, um, I hope I'm not speaking um, hot air. I hope I'm speaking words which have value and, and substance. I don't feel lethargic or, or depressed. So it could be that I'm, I'm in my, could be right now I'm experiencing my, my neshama in this interaction. There's only one small thing that's holding me back from saying it with complete certainty is I may still be arrogant. Uh, maybe there's there's a part of me that's thinking that I'm, I'm better than, than, than someone in the room. Um, if I could somehow let go of that, let's see. And the way I'm trying to let go of it is realizing that um, any advantage that anyone has over anyone else is incidental because HaKadosh Baruch is the one that divvies out life skills and experiences. He gives us our genetics, he gives us our brain, he gives us our life experiences. So if there's anything that I have, let's say, an advantage over anyone else, maybe simply the advantage of age. So that's that's not considered to be an advantage because it's an incidental advantage, it's not mine. So if I let go of that... And if I could even maybe, once I've let go of that, embrace humility. So then maybe this presence right now, I could be experiencing a little bit, a hint of uh, the official locus in this moment. And in terms of me right now, that feels quite a profound experience to be. Understand? Did you understand the, the process? And I think we can all do it. Tuvia. Um, well, two things. First thing is um, when you say self glorification, what does that mean? That's not the echo question. Mm-hmm. Second question is when you say to get to the state of nefesh and locus, mm. um, is that as a result of of not feeling all of the bad emotions like the diver or. or you know, right. Or is, it, or is it you get to the nefesh and locus by elevating yourself to that? Or is the only way how you elevate yourself to that bar? Yeah, I, so I don't know. For for me, just now in this moment, I tried to, I, I eliminated the things which aren't, I mean, they aren't present because there's no real stimulus for them. If there'd be a cheesecake on the table, maybe I would be in my, in my desire. But I'm not there because it's just not, not being stimulated. The real stimulus in this moment for me is, am I going to fall into the trap of arrogance? And if I can somehow let go of that, so then what's left behind is nefesh locus. So you could say in a sense we are nefesh locus the whole time. There's just blockades, and once we get rid of those blockades, then we just. Right, I think that's accurate. I think that's an accurate thing that our most fundamental sense of being is 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 the nefesh locus. Yes, uh, Jakey. Just going with that and going from the tide, but like. When you were trying to, I guess, diminish your arrogance, mm. um, and once you had, you had an upbeat and you did that, yeah, and then you became, and then you're like humility, and it came sort of instantly, sort of insinuating that you're 
that 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 humility is the absence of arrogance more than anything that you need to do. Right. Is that right? Right. 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 You don't have to work towards. I mean, it could be. It means devote yourself from arrogance. I know. I know that humility is relinquishing ownership over my gifts. Acknowledging that I've got certain gifts that the Bhagavad has given me, but not feeling those gifts have no charge to them. It's like I have I have a, a world of learning experience. Okay, what does that mean? It means nothing. They actually gave it to me. Like you know, someone gives me a present. I have this present. That's lovely. I'm so glad you got it. I appreciate it, but it's not mine. So relinquishing, you know, is being very very conscious of my gifts. Because I have to use them in the service of Hashem, but not owning them, not feeling that 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 I ha- I'm better for having them than a person that doesn't have it. Okay, Charles, you want to ask something? No, Harry L. So, just a clarification question. Um, Oh. Clarification question. So there you go. There, there was maybe a little bit of anger popped in there. Just as I was doing so well in my Nefesh Eloki, totally wrong. Is the Nefesh Eloki Eloki your Neshama? Yes. And then the Nefesh Bahama is not part of the Neshama, it's something else. Well, let's work with his model. There's two different personalities. You've got a Godly personality and you've got a, a mundane personality. Mm. Right? So it doesn't matter what, what names you call them. Okay. okay? Good. I'm just trying to make it a little bit more relatable. I'm, you with me, Gabe? I'm, I'm trying to relate it. And I think because our express purpose in getting involved in the Balatanya was not to have a Tanya share, but was to become actually more conscious of the experience of soul. So that's why we're doing this. And for me, that's actually been a very healthy, helpful way of getting more experience of soul. But I think it's going to even go. It's going to be, I think it's going to get even better. The last, the last thing we landed of saying in our session was that there's even glimmers of the depth of our specific Jewish nature in, in our animal soul itself, whereby because it's not an impenetrable, opaque shell, it is quite translucent, which is called klipas noiga, which means a light shell. So certain elements of a higher self penetrate even our default existence of being meaning that we have a base nature to be kind, a base nature to be compassionate, a base nature to suffer a healthy shame. Healthy shame means, uh, and again, there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of, in the modern world, shame is looked upon as an extremely terrible experience to have. And I think many times it can be. When when we refer to the expression of busha, it means an elevated sense of self that is perturbed by inappropriate behavior. So, for example, not experiencing shame would be, I would be lying through my teeth to a person and someone would expose my lies and I'd say, okay, so I lied and experience no shame at that. That would mean that I have no sense of a higher self, of a higher ethical being. If I'm extremely embarrassed, so then it shows that my essence, my core, is actually a, a values tremendously the values tremendously the, the the value of truth and because I behaved in a way that didn't express it I feel a sense of shame that I didn't live up to to what I am so actually ironically having no shame may mean that a person has no ethical higher self because whatever I do is okay and for sure whatever I do is not okay if I do something which is 
beneath my dignity, which is beneath the elevated sense of self, so then that's not okay. So when the Gemara describes the Jewish people as Bashanim, it means that they've got a very elevated sense of self, and therefore they experience, they experience um, a sense of shame when, when they don't fully live up to what they should be. Mm-hmm. Ash. Could you also explain that the feeling of shame just kind of like, tells that it could have been um, as sort of a cost of like, um, as a social cost? Like maybe I feel shame because of a higher sense of moral um, awareness, or maybe I feel shame because I got caught out for something and that has a big social cost and now people, other people think worse of me or think badly of me, and right. that's what I'm ashamed for, not because right. I'm higher. Right, in other words, a person can be, you know, there's shame, the mechanism of shame is being caught doing something that is wrong. But the question is, well, what is wrong? So is the wrong set by an absolute, true, um, eternal system of values, or is wrong set by a variable social conduct or contract? So, for example, I would imagine if a group of thieves together are involved in some kind of stealing, ongoing stealing racket, and one of them gets caught telling the truth, he may feel shame. The same mechanism, but there's a a variable social value that's at play. So you're right. If, If there the point is the shame's not bad, the value is not a healthy value. You with me? So in other words, intrinsically, the experience of shame is only valuable when it's connected to a real, true spiritual, to spiritual truth. And that's what I'm ashamed of. So for example, this is interesting, and it's actually a proof to what you said. There's a mission in always which says, Eina Baishan made person who's shameful doesn't learn it's embarrassing to ask a question because you may get shamed by the people around you because people say wow you being so stupid why are you asking that question and therefore their shame is a negative trait because the ultimate value is knowledge and the ex- the, the, the embarrassment that you suffer because everyone laughs at you is not considered to be an embarrassment so therefore, you have to overcome that shame to ask the question, even be ridiculed, and recognize the ridiculing has no basis on your intrinsic value. Excellent. Good, good. So, the last point that the Tanya makes in Perik Rishon is the distinction between this part of the Nefesh Bahamis and um, the Nefesh Bahamas of the nations of the world. But he doesn't speak about the nation, nations of the world, and there could be a distinction over here. He, he calls them the nations who serve, uh, who serve idols. And uh, I, I, I don't know what would be considered today um, where we have, um, in many ways, a... In many, many ways, society has evolved ethically incredibly. You know, there's been an incredible ethical revolution in, in, in for sure, in, in the Western world. 
And when he, when the Baal Tanya speaks about the, he says, He describes the difference between the animal soul of the Jewish, the Jew and the animal soul of the the nations that serve idols. He says that soul from their nefesh is mishar klipos It doesn't have this advantage of being transparent or translucent. Shein ben toiv klal. That is totally cut off from any sense of goodness. It's totally opaque. Kamoshi kosov ba'eschaim sharamim tesa the arizal rais perik mim gimel perik gimel v'chol tuiv tivur da avdin ha'umis avdi gilulim the garmai avdin. And therefore, when it comes to these people that are, um, since they have no connection to goodness, when they do do something which is good, and there's a very strong, selfish motive. The says in the Pasuk, the chesed of the nations is a sin. That when they do acts of kindness and philanthropy, it's motivated by self, selfish interests. So I think this is quite a... Um, a powerful point, and it seems to suggest that there's a a lot of default in a world which is not um, in in the in the default of many of the nations of the world that don't have a moral compass to conduct them. What results is a very selfishly motivated life, and even acts of philanthropy and. W- kind of apparent humanitarian causes may have some kind of hidden agenda um, which which I think many times is 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 the case um, you know it's hard to say for everyone and it's hard to, to to name people and say that their agenda is just to get more recognition or more fame or to say that the reason why they're providing funding for I don't know um, underprivileged people in Africa is in order to benefit humanity at large, or maybe it's to get more social standing, or maybe it's to get an in into the African trade market, or whatever it is. There's always a, a certain element of suspicion that there's not a true and absolutely altruistic intent in, in, that, in that kind of giving. And so the Balatanya comments that that's, that's reflective of a different nature, whereas the nature of a Jew is that there's much more there's much more default sincerity in giving for the sake of giving, um, which which I think has almost been manifest in um, as we as we spoke about last time in Jewish activism in the community itself and in the world at large. There seems to be a much stronger focus on community and sharing and giving and setting up societies of gemachim. Uh, I think in, in, in Yushnayim, there's actually an entire section of the phone book which is devoted to um, organizations which are there to benefit you for no charge. So, for example, loaning money without interest. Um, literally, literally the lending of equipment of anything you could possibly imagine from um, power tools to baby cribs to um, Shabbos supplies to anything, if you if you want it, there's a gemach that will give it for you. A gemach is a, is a, is an acronym for giving which means acts of kindness. And um, 
it's almost it becomes part and parcel of the of the social structure. The community is based on those, and and they they um, feed off them. Uh, there's there's an interesting I haven't seen it. I just heard about it. there's a documentary on a person in Bnei Brak. I think it's featured on there's there's an Israeli documentary on the life of a Haredim called Kani on there's there's a, there's a channel called Kani Chadisre Kani Eleven and they they interview this guy in Bnei Brak who makes ten thousand shekels a month and he has eleven kids and they just kind of question how is he surviving. How does he survive? Like, how does he actually make it through the month? Because that's, that, that, that doesn't seem viable. And like many of the things he says are just profound. Like they said to him, you know you're living underneath the uh, the poverty line. So he says, look, I don't know about poverty lines. He's got like his kids like all around him. And he says, Moshe, what, do you feel like you like it? Do you, do, is there anything you need? He goes, no, I feel like I'm okay. <laughs> so, so, like the question is, like, well, you know, someone decided this is a poverty line. Can we really establish such a thing as a poverty line based on what criteria? And I, I get it, you know, for social reasons, you may need to do so. But it could very well be that um, that that just now that the, the, the line is, is 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 not objective, but quite relative. And but one of the ways that the, the, that you survive on ten thousand shekels a month is this enormous collaboration between community members. So it means that there are enormous amount of things that I don't need to own. As basic as do I need to have a um, a, a food processor? Well, not really, because my neighbor will happily give it to me. Do I need to have a vacuum cleaner? For sure not. There's like one guy on the street who has a vacuum cleaner. You know, everyone like borrows around about Pesach time. Do I need to have a, do I need to have a crib for my newborn baby? For sure not. We ourselves have a gemach for cribs because the, the, the children I grow them in six months. Who's going to buy a crib that's only going to last for six months? So no, you don't need to have a crib. Do I need to have, um, do I need to have, do I need to go shopping in the normal stores where the prices are hiked up? No, because there are meat sales that get a cost price and they distribute it. Do I, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So when you've got a community that's giving to each other, the amount of money that you need to survive is reduced dramatically, which means you can focus on things which in your hierarchy of values are way more compelling, like the study of wisdom and doing acts of kindness to other people. You're freed up because you're not spending all your, your your time focused on material success and also you're sharing. So, you know, if you're not sharing, so then everyone has to have the own of everything. <laughs> but if you're sharing, so then you have one guy in the building. So, for example, in our previous building, um, we were the people that had a printer. So, like, whenever anyone needed something printed in the building, they'd come to us and say, you know, can we use your printer? And, yeah, of course. I mean, that's that's why Hashem gave us a printer, No. Um, Yankov. Uh, isn't it so, though, that our base nature design still entails some level of selfishness to obtain a higher level of selflessness, meaning just doing mitzvahs to obtain a, a better alam above? Okay, well, that's a good point. We'll describe like what, what, what it was intent and motivation. And also, I don't, I don't mean that we should be communist. I don't mean that you shouldn't have ownership. Lending is very different from not ha- not lending my machine to you is very different from having a machine that we can all use. No, it's, it's a fundamental difference because having something that I own is a fundamental human need. The entire tractates of Bava Kama, Bava Metzia, and Bava Basra are devoted to the laws of ownership. Ownership is looked upon as a sacred right. 
when I have something that I share with you, it's a very different different experience to having something that's a communally shared object. When I share it with you, it's me giving it to you. It's the middah of the middah in in the Mishnah in, in Pirka always says that a person who says what is mine is yours and what is yours is yours acknowledging that I respect the ownership but I'm willing to give me what is mine to you but it's still mine that's a, that's, if it's no one's so then it completely unravels the fabric of the basic human need to own of ownership and that's why communism died such a sudden death because it's intrinsically it's inherently contradictory to the way that human beings function and that's why capitalist societies are far more effective because we want to own stuff Ralph I think Yakov's more getting along the lines of like with the printer example, you said you were the only one in your building without a printer. More on the lines of like, I bought this, I want to buy this printer so that everyone else can use it. But oh. I want to be the guy who has the printer. Right, right. In other words, you could say, you know, even even in doing something good, you can have tainted intentions or not not pure intentions. And how does that all faction into it? That's, that's a great point. And Brownie points in Shemayim for it. Right. Or you say even like I'm going to be the guy that does all this chesed, and you know what do you, what is the when do we really speak about true? And, and, and you're saying that the the is 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 critiquing people who do chesed for self motivation for self interest, and therefore we have to be beyond that excellent great point. So let's go into nefesh lekis and let's see over the course of our learning how those questions are begun to be resolved. Okay. Okay, so now we're about to begin Perik Base. Did you want to ask a question, Shmayal? Um, it was for something that you said earlier that I don't feel like it's pertinent to what we're, we've kind of transitioned to something else, so I feel like it wouldn't be worth talking about. Okay. Great. So let's move on. Um, so... Perik Base. For Nefesh Hashem's Bistral, it's about Tanya, the second... Soul inside the Jewish person. It's a piece of God from above, really. So there's already a really strong emphasis over here. It's not like, oh, it's this, we're just using a uh, metaphorical language. It's like, it's, it's, it's a godly spirit. No, it's, it's really, whatever that means, it is. It means that every one of us possess. Whatever Hashem is, that's ins- that's inside of us. Whatever Hashem is, that's actually inside of us. Actually, Hashem is actually inside of us. So that's that. That in itself is is wow. And when you start to think about this, and especially in the context of um, the discussion of self worth, and it bleeds into the discussion of self esteem, if we could somehow integrate this into ourselves. That we have inside of us, mamish, that we really have a part of us which which is a part of God itself, and that would be an experiential and tangible knowledge. Well, it would be ludicrous to go along the path of self-esteem or thinking that doing good or bad is going to affect my worth, because I understand what my worth is. Imagine you have something which is really worthwhile. Like, in your mind's eye, imagine the ultimate motor vehicle. Pick your own choice, whether it's a super-duper Tesla, a Rolls-Royce, a Lamborghini, a Maserati, a Ferrari, or a Porsche SUV. You've got this great, great vehicle. 
and you drive the vehicle very slowly and you don't change out of first gear. And someone looks at you and goes, ha, 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 you're going so slow. How would you feel? How would you feel about your car? You'd feel rocks about your car because you know you're driving an incredible vehicle. The fact that it's going slow right now isn't reflective of the essence of the vehicle itself. So what happens if I had a conscious awareness of my own inner value and then I messed up? So then I'd recognize, well, that's not a reflection of my inner self. That's something that got distorted along the way. I better go back and make sure that I know where, where the kind of corruption in the system took place and rectify it. But it will never reflect, I'll never have anything that will ever diminish my sense of self-worth, which means I'll be able to walk through life with a sense of emotional equilibrium, despite the many different currents that flow towards or against me. For example, if I'd walk into the room and everyone in the room would stand up and applaud, I would not feel a sense of self-inflation. If I'd walk into a room and everyone in the room would boo and hiss, I would not feel a sense of self-deflation because I would have a cogent recognition that my worth is independent of external approval. It's independent of my actions, whether they are successful or they are failing. It's independent of anything I could do. It is because it is because it is because it is because it is. And the more we can inculcate inside of ourselves this basic sense of our internal worth, that I think the more we're predictably headed for a smooth ride in life and a successful spiritual journey. And the more we become caught up in the periphery of ourselves, seeking to sustain ourselves by um, fictitious narratives of who we need to be and what we need to do, and only on those conditions do we have any sense of worthiness. If we base ourselves on our utility and our value and our output, if we base ourselves on how much we've contributed or our rise in social standing, our looks, our income, our status, our car, our watch, our shirt with a horseman galloping along the left part of it. All those things are... Um, Oh, I didn't even notice. Had I known. It's good as Joel's shirt. It's Joel's shirt. I'm actually, I'm a Kaiser. Yeah, no, you probably got it from Waza. I got it from Koza. Koza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just assuming any good clothing comes from Waza. Now that he's like, you know, started his own personal jumble sale experience. It was a monthly fire sale. This is literally what it's Ariel? So, almost out of time, Blake. How would you explain this concept of neshama and all, everything we've been discussing to somebody yeah. that's not from like a secular person? Okay. Because to us, well, we have more or less a background, so like, oh, we have it. Like, so, so I think the same, the same way as we'd explain it to ourselves, because you, I think it's as foreign to us as it is to them, or it's, 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 it's almost as foreign as it is to, to us as to them. It would be like looking inside my life and trying to eliminate when I have a seemingly universal experience of being selfish and animalistic because I think people have a grasp of what animalistic behavior involves and then saying, well, do you ever behave in a way that's not like that? Well, it's, where, where do you think that's coming from? You know, so obviously in, in, in our experience of living in this world, there's always multiple ways of interpreting and there's never any absolute 
that you can say, well, we can prove this, but you can certainly explore it. Okay. So I think that's a good place to, to take a deep breath and to continue tomorrow.